Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terrilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hey everyone, this is Tara Lynn, and I would just like to give a personal thank you to everybody who has left us a review. They are so kind. I seriously get like teared up when I read them. One of my most current favorites is from a mom. She says that our podcast came out about when her first baby was born and she'd listen to our episodes on every walk that she'd go on. And she felt like she had like her best friends walking with her so i just want to let you guys know that we've had a lot of people say that they feel like we are their friends and i want you guys to know that we think about you guys all the time as our listeners and we i totally feel like you're our friends as well so i just want to thank you for leaving us a review and let you know it is so helpful for us and our podcast success when you do leave us a kind review so thank you if you are willing to leave us one you just go to search find the magic on apple podcasts and then you scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a review and then you make sure you push send after you leave the review and give us a rating. Thank you so, so much and hope you have a beautiful day. All right, welcome everyone. This is Felicia and I am so excited to have Jen Lumenlon here from Your Parenting Mojo. She... We've had Jen on before. She's amazing. Um, her degree is in psychology with an emphasis in child development. Correct me if I'm yep. wrong. And the thing that we have emphasized and love about her podcast, Your Parenting Mojo, and everything she does is it is so heavily research-based. I love that about you. You're not just shooting the breeze, which I also love shooting the breeze, but... <laughs> If I'm like, okay, I need, (laughs) yes, I need to know something based in fact. I love coming to your podcast for that. It's, it's just fantastic. And today we are going to talk about something that I feel like comes up in most conversations with most parents, and that is being triggered by our kids' behavior or things that they say. And I'm just so excited because who doesn't experience that? (laughs) and so I think it's where I want to start is you know we go about our days with our kids and in a lot of ways parenting is um I guess the the word would be natural but we're we're oftentimes going through it a little more mindlessly like we're not thinking about a lot of our interactions Mm -hmm. um so I think it's important to just ask how can we even know when we're when we're feeling triggered and not just our our kids misbehaving? Like, how can we know when it's us that's being triggered? Yeah, um, and I think when we're starting out thinking about uh, feeling triggered, it's really important to be precise on the terminology. And 
And uh, so we we often see this language of, of triggered kind of out in the world in parenting forums, and it actually has a really specific meaning. So uh, when we're using the word triggered, it refers to some kind of trauma that has happened in the past. We've, we've experienced a traumatic reaction to an event and um, we are somehow reminded of that trauma in the present moment. And it's almost like we're reliving some part of that trauma. So that's officially what uh, being triggered means. Um, and, and we can still, even if we haven't experienced what psychologists might call, you know, big T trauma, where um, you know, the, the, the really, really big stuff, a parent dying or addiction, those kinds of things, um, then maybe we've experienced little T trauma. So things like divorce and moving house a lot and getting bullied in school, that kind of thing. Even if none of that is there, that doesn't mean we're always going to be completely calm <laughs> around our children because we might not get enough sleep. We might be hungry. We might be hangry. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And we can we can say flooded in those circumstances. And the physical signs are very similar. Um, so maybe we go into fight mode, right? We're immediately lashing out, whether that's physically or verbally. Um, we are fleeing right? We're, we're trying to get out of the situation as fast as possible. Maybe we're freezing and it's almost like we're caught between fighting and fleeing. almost like a, a foot on the gas and the brake at the same time. Um, and uh, psychologists have, have more recently identified fawning as a reaction where we'll do anything to just get it to stop, you know, whatever you want. It's okay. Just, you can have the ice cream, just stop crying. Um, and so when we see these kinds of huge reactions within us, that are that we can even look at them and see this is probably a bit disproportional to the thing that my kid was actually doing then that's how we know that we're feeling triggered or flooded oh that's really interesting because i think a lot of parents when i've had these conversations or even when i think about am i triggered it it brings a feeling of overwhelm because it's a lot to identify mm -hmm. it's like a lot of work to identify any of these situations and then what happened to me in my childhood and how do I fix it and it's just like I'm trying to make dinner like <laughs> there's just it's too much stuff um but what what you said I think is a really um like empowering way to think about it and that is is my reaction bigger than what is actually happening. And in that case, I can just simply take a second, pause and say, like come into the moment of the situation instead of building it up in my mind to mm. great. Now my kids can talk back to every teacher and never have a job and be in my basement forever. Mm -hmm. So I really like that distinction when it comes to being triggered, is my reaction bigger than the situation? Yeah. And and the technical term for what you just described your brain doing is catastrophizing, right? Mm. You're, you're taking this little thing that's happening right now, which seems way bigger than that to you. And, and your brain is like, but if, if they don't learn this lesson now, then they're never going to respect me. And they're, we're never going to be able to do this. And they're, my in-laws are going to think I'm a terrible parent. And they're, yes, they're, <laughs> they're never going to be able to be independent in life. And all of these terrible, horrible things are going to happen. 
And it's so easy to get onto that kind of hamster wheel. And, and once you get on it, it's really hard to get off it. <laughs> um, and, and what you described of, of creating that pause, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a huge part of what I work with parents to do is to create that pause. And I do not want to imply, <laughs> certainly don't want to state or even imply that that is easy in any way. It's not easy. Um, and, and I work a lot over a long period of time with parents to, uh, to, to identify how do we start going about creating that pause and how do we make it bigger and how do we make it big enough that we can actually be in that pause and use it to make a shift from this is the way I react this is the way I've always reacted this is the way I am to and this is what I'm going to say to my child based on my values as a parent and based on the relationship I want to have with my child okay I I want to bookmark that values cue and um I also wanted to bring up, I, I, when we are having, you know, listener questions to our podcast or just in conversations or something I feel, I'm just asking, are we going to get to, but also, even if I've calmed my trigger, I still want to help my kid with this behavior. Mm-hmm. So can we still deal with the issue that that we're triggered by like I think sometimes as a parent we feel disregarded in our concern for our child when we're identifying it as a personal trigger mm-hmm. does that make sense so it's yeah. like I still don't want them to to talk back to me like that uh-huh. but I also understand I'm triggered <laughs> right yes yeah and and so you're right there, there are two parts to this right there's the part that we own and there's the part that's happening with them and um and i think you're sort of you're you're hinting at the most common thing that i hear from parents is as you know why i feel triggered is my child just doesn't listen to me <laughs> and i've heard that over and over again so much that i actually sat down and i identified 13 reasons why children don't listen um, and, and what to do about each one of those. And, and that's available actually as a, a free download uh, that your listeners can find it at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash find the magic. Um, and so, so we need to understand what is our piece, right? I'm having this big response because it is reminding me of something that's happened to me because there's other stuff going on. And, and I think we're going to coach you through an example of how this has happened to you so that, that people can see this kind of in, in real life as it were. And then, yes, there's also this thing that our child is doing. And, and the thing that I think we need to keep in mind is firstly, our child is uh, much younger than we are, doesn't have a fully developed brain. <laughs> um, it's hard enough for us, right? I mean, so, so often this is things like tone. Um, our child says something in a tone we don't like, or they say words we don't like. If you think about when you're a little bit dysregulated, you're hungry, you're tired, you've had a long day, and do you ever say anything that doesn't come out in exactly the tone that would be the most helpful in the situation? I know I do. <laughs> and yet we expect our children to deliver the perfectly respectful tone to us without fail even though they are hungry and tired and have had a long day um and so it's not necessarily the case that uh okay well if i if i don't fix this thing with my child right now they're never going to learn it's can i see what's actually underneath 
the thing that my child is saying. Um, and, and so uh, maybe if we're hearing a tone, some words that, that seem disrespectful to us, then maybe that's, uh, so it's ultimately it's the child saying, I'm having a hard time right now. There's something about this is difficult for me. If the child is resisting, if the child is doing things that, you know, we parents might typically say, my child doesn't listen to me, then what they're telling us is, that doesn't meet my needs right now. That suggestion that you're the thing that you're asking me to do, the thing you're asking me to not do doesn't meet my needs. And that does not mean that we're, we need to bend over backwards and, and always meet all of our child's needs. But what we can do, and this is where, where we're finding the magic here, is we are uh, looking to understand what is my child's need and at the same time, understand what is my need. And when we can see those two things and hold those two things with equal weight, then we, coming back to your idea of values, right? We, we're actually able to show up in our relationship with our child in a way that is aligned with our values. It feels good rather than this, ah, you know, constant tension stress. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So can you give us a taste um, of maybe a couple of the, the 13 reasons why your kid doesn't listen? I kind of just want to get our listeners juices flowing thinking about their situations sure yeah um i mean on on the very simple end it could be your child hasn't heard you <laughs> right my, my my husband actually has this magical ability that he can tune out everything that's going on around him <laughs> and we'll be sitting in the same room and my my daughter will ask for something to eat and i'll go and get it for her and she'll do it two more times and then an hour later he'll be like have you eaten anything and <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, yes, she has actually. <laughs> and so our children can do this too, right? They get so interested in the thing that they're doing that even though we're shouting at full volume, maybe they don't see us, they don't hear us, it hasn't actually fully registered. And so to us, we, we shout, we shout again, we shout again, it builds and builds and builds. To them, they haven't even really received it the first time. So, so there's the, you know, why this is happening, the what to do about it. Um, is to is to get on their level to make eye contact with them to say this is this is what we're planning to do today does this work for you um, are, are there any things that we can do to to make this work better for you that might also meet my needs so we're, we're making sure that that message has been received um, and so 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 that solution of you know getting on eye level and and, and making sure that that is actually going in quote unquote works if the reason the child quote unquote hasn't been listening <laughs> is that they didn't hear you. But if there's a different reason, then that won't work because that's not actually the solution that, that meets that, that individual uh, issue. Um, another thing I see parents often do is uh, we, we're, we're trying to get out the door in the morning. We do the same thing every day. Children, why can't you just do the same thing we do every day? <laughs> we need to eat breakfast, get dressed and brush your teeth and get your shoes on. How hard is it when we do the same thing every yeah. day? When children's working memories just aren't able, you know, young children's working memories aren't able to, to, to hold that many things at once. So when we're asking them to, to remember all of these things, they just can't do it. Um, and so we can work with those kinds of things by uh, giving them one instruction at a time. You know, pl please make sure to eat your breakfast. Here's a five minute timer so that you can actually see what five minutes looks like or 10 minutes or however long it is. And um, and then, okay, here's the next thing. Um, and the next thing, and this is where visual schedules can be really helpful because it can allow the child to see here's the next thing and the next thing. But again, this only works if the reason the child isn't listening is because they couldn't remember all the steps. 
Um, and then just to give you a taste for one more is, uh, is there something about the situation that is not meeting the child's needs? Um, and uh, we, we, may, we may not be able to understand what is that child's need because we haven't taken the time to ask them. Um, and I, I worked with a parent uh, a while ago who just who gave this beautiful example of her child. Uh, I think the child was about six at the time. And every morning they would have this fight over getting dressed for school. And the parent says, get dressed. No, get dressed. No, get dressed. No. And uh, the the one day after we'd worked together for a while, the parent says, why don't you want to get dressed? And the child says, because I like knowing that you were the last person to touch my clothes before I put them on. And the parent just melts into a puddle <laughs> and says, of course, I'm willing to help you meet your need, <laughs> which they can identify now as connection. And then it becomes it, it, we're, we're not trying to get our child to be independent, right, to, to get themselves dressed because she's six, because she should be able to do it. And we can see this as a connecting ritual that we use to kickstart our day and to go out into the rest of the day uh, from a place that's aligned with our values. Mm. that's yeah that's probably uh more to the heart of what we talk about a lot on our podcast is oftentimes we don't realize that our child is bidding for connection in those moments what would you say I think that feels it can feel like heavy and like oh now I feel guilty Mm -hmm. especially to parents who yeah, well, everyone's busy or working or have multiple kids. Mm-hmm. And so they they feel like, wow, I identified that, but I still can't meet that need. Mm-hmm. So do you have any tips for that? <laughs> yeah, um, I guess firstly, I, I just want to point out, uh, yes, our children are often asking for connection. Um, and, and what we're seeing them doing when they're resisting getting dressed is sort of they're, they're making this unskillful attempt to tell us what their need is. And we're like, well, why don't they just tell us? And and we do this all the time too, right? Um, one example that I like to give is um, my 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 husband never unloads the dishwasher, <laughs> and I do it every single freaking day. And it got to a point where I was absolutely sick of doing this dishwasher, and I got it into my head that he he needs to unload the dishwasher some of the time. And so I pick a fight with him over unloading the dishwasher, and. Uh, and, and I got, we, we talk about the catastrophizing. I, I got it into my head, you know, he's lazy. The reason he doesn't want to unload the dishwasher is because he's lazy. And so when I'm picking a fight with him, I'm actually making an unskillful attempt to communicate my need for collaboration in our relationship. I mean, why can't I just identify that need and say, hey, I'm not feeling like we're on a team right now. Can we figure out some ways to, to feel like we're more on a team? <laughs> and do you think he would have said yes? I'm thinking he probably would have said yes. But I use this unskillful attempt to try to communicate my need. And that's what our children are doing, too. When they're resisting us, when they're pushing back, when they're saying no, they're using this unskillful attempt. And what we typically find with parents who are saying, I don't have time to do this, is these unskillful attempts to get their needs met and our big reactions to those end up taking a bunch of time and they leave us just feeling awful (laughs) because we're wound up we're tense we're angry we are we're we know that the thing that just came out of our mouth is not aligned with our values so now we have this huge cognitive dissonance where um you know i i know what's important to me i know my relationship is important and i just couldn't stop saying that awful thing that i said 
Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, it takes a bit longer to help our child get dressed in the morning. When, when you talk about, you know, could, could I be spending those three minutes doing something else? Yes, you could be. But chances are you won't be having that fight with your child every day over how you get dressed because it will just be a smooth process. And then secondly, you will probably arrive in the rest of your day in a frame of mind that is that feels much better to you. Yeah, you're saying we're probably spending the same amount of time threatening, controlling, mm -hmm. yada if not more and getting mad. Yes. And your future, you will be grateful for the time you take in the moment to figure out the situation. Yes. I love that. Um, so do you, do you mind if, if you live coach me? <laughs> I do not mind at all. I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> we have a, a sit, a layered situation. Mm -hmm. So if I'm throwing you a curveball, I'm sorry. And you can say, <laughs> You can say you need more help than me. <laughs> <laughs> can I, can I call on the audience? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to set this up. So this is a, a whole family trigger dynamic situation. Yeah. So, and I would say this is the situation in our household that is the most common and it's, it trigger it's both my husband and I's triggers combined. Okay. <laughs> so we have, I have an interesting dynamic with my, so my oldest is eight and then I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a two-year-old, but she's not involved in this. <laughs> well, she but, is. <laughs> well, she is. Somehow she is, right? Somehow she is. Um, so the dynamic that usually that plays out a lot is my husband asks my boys, the three to do anything. And they often push back or are in quotes, disrespectful, or, you know, don't listen in some way to him, but they almost never do that to me. Mm. So then it's a really, it, you can see how that becomes tricky because he's getting more and more mad mm -hmm. and I'm on the sideline, like really frustrated that he's being so aggressive and like angry towards them. Mm -hmm. And they're obviously not loving it either. So mm -hmm. it puts me in a position to feel like I can be on their, their side of I just don't think this is the right way we're going about it. Or I can support my spouse in the situation as like united front. And it gets very confusing what I need to choose. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's kind of the dynamic. And I know it's, it's, it is triggers based for me and my husband. So feedback. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you give me a specific example of when this has happened recently? Um, okay. So it will sound like my husband will say, Hey, who left this wet rag on the carpet? You need to pick it up and put it in the washing machine and dry it right there, mm -hmm. whatever. It's going to hurt the wood or something. Yeah. And, um, my son will say, dad, it's not that big of a deal. Or he'll say, why are you always getting so mad at us like that because of the tone that my husband's mm -hmm. asking in yeah 
Um, and then they start to really go back and forth kind of like, Oh, like you're so mean and grumpy and you know, they're kind of arguing back and forth. And so I can feel this tension building mm -hmm. and I feel the need to be a mediator. <laughs> yep. Which is a tough spot to be in. Right. Yeah. Um, when, when you want to support both sides. <laughs> right. Right. Um, okay. So uh, this, this is a little bit tricky since we don't have your husband here. I assume he's comfortable with us talking about him. Yeah, yeah, he's totally, he's volunteering himself to parenting science. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and so did he grow up in a pretty traditional household? Do what you're told? I mean, very traditional in every way. But interestingly, his mom and dad, I would say, like they almost never had this situation in their house at all. Mm -hmm. Like they're they when I talk because I have tried to identify this but when when I talk to them and from my husband he'll say like they almost never had to tell me what to do right and why is that I don't know I do <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't dare do anything that right. would require them to tell him what to do yeah 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 right. yeah totally he didn't the interesting thing that I, <clears throat> I wonder, so they weren't in any way strict or punishing or anything like that. Um, but it, tell me if you think this is something his, his oldest sibling, um, which everybody knows on this podcast. So Terilyn, his older sister, mm -hmm. my co-host, yeah. um, she was a very, like, she would kind of do what you should do as a kid mm. and so they kind of had this set up in their family of uh really obedient from the start yeah kids mm -hmm. and so I think he's not not used to kids having that pushback yeah yeah that, I mean that makes perfect sense um is he on board with respectful parenting and the ideas that you talk about on the podcast Yes, he is. Yeah, he's very open to all of it. Okay. So can we imagine then what must be going on in his head when uh, in that moment when he sees that wet rag on the carpet and what's what's kicking in for him is these two huge forces in his mind, right? There's the, I could never have done that when I was a kid. I knew it wasn't okay to leave wet rags on the floor. Um, I wouldn't have been punished because I just knew that it wasn't okay. You know, my behavior was so tightly controlled that there was no need for punishment. Why, why do my kids not know this? Like, what am I doing wrong as a parent? And then on the other side, there's, I believe in respectful parenting and I want to be in this values-based relationship with my child how 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 do I make those two things happen <laughs> I don't know and so what comes out is who left this wet rag on the carpet because that's what can come out when we're when we're so torn between those two opposing ideas what do you think oh it's funny because uh he he often will just say it's not okay like in any situation and my yeah, mind yeah. because I'm I am so deep in the respectful parenting side yeah I would expect a kid to do any one of these things yeah and yeah, so yeah, yeah it's really interesting when you say 
it's not okay. I would have never done that. I feel like right. that's his exact frame of mind. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's that, that, that tearing in him. Yeah. Like, how do I navigate this thing that's important to me, right? That Felicia and I have decided is, is how we want to raise our children with this decades of what is okay and what is not okay that I was yeah. so trained into. Okay. So that's yeah. your husband. Let's set him aside for a moment. Mm-hmm. What was your role in your family? Was it a mediator by any chance in your family of origin? Well, I'm the oldest and I was like the mom. Mm. So my, I was raised by a single parent. My mom, I was almost always home with my younger siblings. So I was that role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's your job to make sure that everything is managed, right? (laughs) So that nobody else has to manage this, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know that you're doing your job when the kids are in line. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I definitely feel the need in those situations I think it's a little bit of this is this is what I do also this is like my specialty of you know I've researched this so I know the best way to handle this situation <laughs> <laughs> I feel that even though it's not true in some of the moments yeah I feel that in every parenting situation I'm somehow the expert of this situation so I have a hard time not inserting myself <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, which isn't always easy to receive on on the other end. <laughs> For sure. For um, sure. So so just sticking with you a little bit. Um, so so you, I mean, in a way, you didn't get to really be a kid yourself, right? You didn't get to leave wet rags on the carpet. You know yeah. now because you've read about respectful parenting and spent so long practicing it that kids will leave stuff on the carpet. But you yeah. didn't get to do that, and you were cleaning up everybody else's wet rags. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think there's definitely a disconnect. So in my parenting style, I feel like I'm a lot more free range and lax with my Mm -hmm. kids. And because I would rather them try something and learn from their mistake than kind of walk them through each little step. Mm -hmm. Neither, I don't think either is right or wrong. I just think my husband's a little more on the And he was raised a little more being hovered over in a way to, to teach, which Mm -hmm. I think can be really good in some situations. So I think those kind of clash because situations that I view as perfectly fine for my kids to get themselves in or messes that are just byproducts of learning, he sees them from another lens Mm -hmm. And that also exacerbates this um, situation because in a way I've created this situation by not micromanaging the the play or maybe they were cleaning up a mess and because I wasn't there, they left the wet rags and didn't think about it. So in a way I'm a part of it. And so it, it triggers a defense like, this is we're doing this over here now you're inserting yourself and getting mad also kind of at me 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So let, let's talk about, um, let's do one more thing. Cause, cause there's a sort of a third person where we can sort of lump the children together. Maybe we can take the oldest child. Cause you, you sort of gave that example, um, participating in this and then we'll talk, talk about how to navigate it. Um, so, so your, your husband says this, who left this wet rag on the carpet and your oldest child immediately their back is up. And so if, if you imagine, uh, I mean, let's, let's just imagine I'm walking to your house right now and I, and you, you know, come on in. And I'm like, Felicia, this room is a mess, <laughs> right? Wait, wait, what is, what is your immediate, what's coming up for you as I say that? Oh, you're just like defensive. Uh-huh. D- does yeah. it make you want to work with me, collaborate with yeah. me? Yeah. No, not at all. Help, help me? <laughs> no way. Yeah, no yeah. way. Um, and so when we when we start out with this this what we call a judgmental you know, a judgmental statement, um, it immediately gets the other person's back up, um, and so that's what your your son is responding to. There, there's not even any kind of analysis of well, uh, I'm not busy right now, and I could pick up the rug uh, the rag, or I'm busy right now, can I pick it up in five minutes? It doesn't even get that far. It's just. no (laughs) yeah no I I am not uh okay with being spoken to like that and so you know this comes up for us when we're like I'm not okay with being spoken to like that our kids are people with these same feelings and needs that we are right they they want to uh to receive from us respect and care and compassion just like we want to receive respect and care and compassion from them and so when we're instigating this uh this this interaction we get to set the tone which is, it can feel like, oh my God, if my kid hadn't just let the, left the rag on the floor, this, this wouldn't be a thing, right? I wouldn't need to explode. When actually, if we see um, the, the point, the, the sort of the choice point, as it were, is am I going to walk in with who left the wet rag on the carpet? Or, oh, I just walked through the living room and I noticed there's a wet rag on the carpet. How is it different yeah. to receive that than it is who left the wet rag on the carpet? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. And this is, you know, it's easy to analyze what I think my husband should do differently Mm -hmm. and harder, you know, but I think exactly what you're saying is I've told him, I think they're, your intent is not aggressive, but they're taking your tone aggressively. And so they're being defensive. Mm -hmm. And I will say the exact, I will go into the exact same situation hoping for the same outcome, but I think my tone is just more considerate or compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I guess it's just simply realizing that and working on your tone. Do you have any other, I just think it's so interesting because we're so concerned with our kids' tones, mm-hmm. but we mm-hmm. choose disrespectful tones a lot when speaking to our kids. Yeah. So yeah. if that is our pattern, do you have any other tips for parents I mean besides pause and consider your tone um I mean I, I think what comes with the tone <laughs> is the words that you're saying and and the tone sort of gets wrapped up in you know who, who left the wet rag on the carpet the the tone that that comes in is is probably not going to be you know I would like to understand more about this situation right yeah. so so I, I almost worry less about uh, finessing the tone because that's harder to do than uh, the what are the words that I want to say because that will kind of bring the tone along with it. So right. if I can approach it from this non-judgmental perspective, what do I actually see with my eyes? <laughs> um, I see a wet rag on the carpet. Uh, 
can I observe that without making any blame, without assuming who did it, uh, without thinking that anyone's irresponsible for doing it? You know, maybe the kid was doing the laundry for you and dropped it on the way to doing the laundry. If you understood that, would your response be different than if you thought they were irresponsible and deliberately left it there? So could we assume that our child had the best Uh, possible intention and they were doing their absolute best in that moment when they dropped or left the rag on the floor what what would we say to them if we assumed that they were trying to help us they were trying to collaborate with us in that moment and then the tone will follow yeah it's it's taking away the accusatory yes feel and the reason this is so important to me and I feel triggered by these interactions when I hear them is I believe that if my kid feels safe enough Mm -hmm. to interact with me about the wet rag that when they're a teenager and they've done something that's actually of consequence they will feel safe enough in those situations with me and I feel a little when I hear it I I go to the future and I get a little emotional and like scared of like if that's the tone you bring to like teenage time it's really gonna not be good for your relationship and so I'm definitely catastrophizing to that future with my husband and my boys absolutely so yeah that's a that's a good way to put it yeah yeah and also this isn't necessarily your thing to fix, right? You're you're taking on the very sort of female oriented role in the household of managing the emotional climate of the home. Right. um, And trying to make sure that, that nobody's triggered, which is you're taking a lot of your emotional capacity, which is then triggering you because you you have less emotional capacity left over for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Your husband is going to have his own relationship with his children Um, he may be interested in playing with non-judgmental observations and seeing, oh, how does that shift the tone of this interaction where that starts off a little bit differently? Um, okay. Yeah. I can see how that's shifting. What, what more could I do? Right. And another, um, idea that I think can really help him is for you to have a conversation at a time completely outside of any, any unregulated time, right. have a, have a private quiet dinner with him at some other time. Um, and say, you know, I've, I've noticed that it seems as though sometimes you have a hard time when, uh, when the children are doing something that you don't want them to do. Do you want to talk about that? Right. We're, we're, we're coming in again, non-judgmental observation, (laughs) um, inviting him into the conversation. And then if he agrees to participate in the conversation, we can ask him, how can I support you in those difficult moments? How do you want to be supported? Right. Because, um, so often we try to support other people in the way we want to be supported. So when my child is, is quote unquote acting up and I'm talking with her about that, um, I don't want my husband to butt in, right? This is between me and her and we can sort this out. Whereas if uh, my husband is dealing with an incident, he wants me to come in and back him up. I, I see that as undermining. I'm like, you, you're capable of sorting this out. You don't need me. <laughs> So if I try and deliver what works for me, he feels like uh, he's not supported. And if he delivers what works for him, I feel undermined. (laughs) And so if you can ask him, what would you like me to do in those moments? Would you like me to, uh, you know, put a hand on your shoulder or look you in your eyes and say, 
we got this um or wh whatever whatever you can imagine um then he may be able to re-regulate himself remind himself of what's important you know the values that you have all agreed on as a family are, are important to you um and from there you're looking to understand uh you know what wh what's happening with the with the rag are you willing to help me pick it up right now um I'm, I'm playing a game right now can i do it in five minutes yeah you can do it in five minutes um or uh, okay i'll pick it up for you this time and let's let's have a chat about why that happened and, and how we can uh maybe not have it happen again so how do you yeah know? yeah that's really good we you're making me think that we have actually had that conversation but what he asked for i wasn't loving <laughs> uh, which was <laughs> he wanted me to just back him up mm. in his whatever he was choosing to say yeah and it was it, that's the whole problem that I'm having with the situation yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what you're making me think is can I maybe a better solution would be to see if if I could support him by, uh, because there's often all the other three kids mm -hmm. and noise, can I support you by removing all of this so you and our oldest can figure this out or something? Yeah. So it's it's supporting his need, his want to not be undermined, yeah. but also hopefully giving him space to regulate. Yes, I think that's, a, that's an awesome idea to try, yes um and and you may well find that it helps him um the the bigger issue that is still going to remain unaddressed is that the way he's interacting with your children is not in alignment with the values that you all have stated mm -hmm. um and if uh and so, so it's going to continue to be that same problem that we talked about where he gets into that situation and and there's the the you know decades of training in what is okay and what is not okay conflicting with the values that you know to be important and until that is resolved um and 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 he's moving towards uh the 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 values that that are um alive and present for you and your family then he's going to continue to to have these difficult interactions um and and that's not to say you know that that we any of us do this perfectly right we all carry this decades of patterning with us <laughs> and we are the only ones who can address that so um and 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 that has that is an enor enormous opportunity because it's always uh easier to change ourselves than it is to change somebody else <laughs> but also if you see that in somebody else you you can't you can't really make it happen right you can't change them it has to be something that comes from him and he may not be ready to do that yet right he may not be ready to leave behind that decades of patterning um to step into something else yeah so the the wrap up of what I wanted to ask you is exactly what you're, you're bringing up. This is, you know, there's these little situations that we can identify our triggers in, but if, if we want to be proactive, mm -hmm. how can we big picture start with finding a place that's aligned with our values? So if we want to back up and say, okay, before I get on in all these triggered mm -hmm. situations, how do we communicate and and pre-set this up before we're in like day-to-day -day life? Yeah, awesome question. Um, and I think there's a couple couple big ideas. 
the first is to recognize where the stuff comes from, right? It, it may seem like this stuff comes from your child's behavior. And I think it's probably been pretty clear through this conversation that this stuff does not come from your child's behavior. <laughs> and so it's really about understanding where this stuff comes from and, and working to heal that, right? Sometimes just the insight of where it comes from is enough for parents. Um, very often it's not. And, and that what, what we need to experience is what I call a non-cognitive shift. You know, cognitive happens in your brain. Yes, I understand this happened because this happened to me when I was a child. Um, the, the non-cognitive shift part is taking it on your body and, and having something truly be different. And where I see that happen is when people process this information in community with others. Um, in our culture, we tend to talk, we, we, we think that um, if, I, if, you know, Jen, you just give me this one nugget of information. When I have that nugget, I'm not going to feel triggered anymore. <laughs> and, and the information is the piece that's missing when actually, yes, the information will get you some of the way there. But it's, uh, it's thinking about that, processing it, talking about it with others, having them piggyback on your thought, which triggers something else for you, which, you know, piggybacks and, and you end up developing this far further than you ever could alone. Um, that's where the healing actually comes from, where it's not just, you know, I've had a, a parent who grew up with um, an alcoholic uh, mother and, you know, had a, a really, really difficult childhood and said, I always knew I needed to forgive my mom but I could never do it because it was always in my head. And she said, um, through, through being in this workshop that I teach called Taming Your Triggers, she, she watched you know, hundreds of parents introducing themselves and, and talking about their triggers. And all of a sudden she has this vision of her own parent as a struggling 20 something with a whole bunch of unresolved trauma. And she said, it's, it's like, I felt, I felt forgiveness. I had to be forgiveness and all of it in you know, all years of therapy and everything else. I had never been forgiveness and through going through that experience. Now I am forgiveness. And she forgave her mom and they had this beautiful interaction and, and all of this huge weight that she'd been carrying around, she wasn't carrying anymore into her daily interactions with her child. So she's able to be more regulated without having to remind herself, convince herself to do things differently. So that's one big bucket. And then the other big bucket is um, chances are, you know, sometimes wet rags come out of nowhere and you don't see them coming. But very often it's the same stuff happening every day. And when the same stuff happens every day, that is a massive opportunity for us, because why are we dealing with it in the moment when it happens every day? Instead, we can wait for a time when it's not in that moment, when everybody's regulated and say, hey, I've been noticing we've been having a hard time getting out of the house in the morning. Would you be willing to talk about that? Can you tell me how you're feeling when we're trying to leave the house? Because here's how I'm feeling. And I'm trying to understand what your needs are in that situation. And maybe I can see you're enjoying playing and you probably also want to have some connection time with me, right? And and whatever else is going on. And then I'm identifying my needs for ease and calm in the mornings and, and responsibility to my coworkers and those kinds of things. Okay, from there, can we, can we think of a way of, of doing morning routine that actually meets everybody's needs? If you have ideas, I really want to hear about them. <laughs> and and if, if it seems like they'll meet both of our needs, let's do it. Um, and then we're moving through these difficult situations in a collaborative way. And maybe we don't get it right the first time. And what we think is going to meet our needs doesn't. And we have to go back and say, hey, I thought this was going to meet my need. And actually, I'm still feeling frustrated, which tells me something isn't right. Can we talk about this again? Would you mind if we did it this way instead of doing it that way? And then, you know, this that is what the conversations, I mean, you talked about our conversations with our teenagers. We want them to know that when they come to us with the really big bad stuff, 
that we're going to approach it from a non-judgmental observation, understanding uh, viewpoint. We're going to try and empathize with them. We're going to understand what was your need here while not losing sight of our need. And then we're going to find a way that works for both of us. I love that. It's a, just a beautiful proactive plan because in parenting, it it can just zoom by so fast every single day and you get to the end and you realize <laughs> that is not how I wanted to handle any situation. And yeah. now it's over. Um, and it's going to so be I, back again tomorrow. And I don't know what to do yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you get a little, little stress about the next day. So I really, I really love that. And I love the collaboration that it creates within your family. Mm-hmm. If you can come to the table and try to figure out solutions that your child feels a part of, obviously they're going to want to support those systems more because they contributed. Yes. And it's, and it's not, not the fake choices, right? It's not right. that I've already predetermined what your two choices are. And yes. you get to pick which of the ones that are acceptable yes. to me. It's, <laughs> yes. You actually have autonomy over your own life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a real yes. difference there. I really love that. Um, so two little things I wanted to mention. One was when you're talking about recurring triggers something I like to do is either in the I do it in the morning because that's when I journal but I'll think about each of my kids and try to identify something that feels a little bit off Mm -hmm. and over time you realize they're almost always the same things in Mm -hmm. like a phase of a kid's life (laughs) and so that's a cool way to identify how you can be proactive with those Mm -hmm. and then with your workshop um well, you mentioned your workshop and kind of the building of of um, empathy and awareness of other parents. Something I think is really cool about your workshop is that it it is done in collaboration with other parents. It's it's like a cohort yeah. of sorts. Yeah. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about our your workshop just to finish up and when your next one is? Yeah. So it's called Taming Your Triggers, and uh, the enrollment period opens on February 19th, 2023, and we get started on March 1st. And yeah, I, I think ca- coming from this idea that, well, just give me the knowledge, right? It, it, I should be able to enroll anytime, and, <laughs> and I'll get the knowledge, and then I won't feel triggered anymore. And it doesn't work like that. Um, which is why we open twice a year and uh, invite people to come in all at once. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a massive introvert. <laughs> and so a lot of people who follow me tend to be massive introverts and they're like, no, I don't want to talk about this with anybody. This is really scary. And you don't have to have your real name there. Um, and actually a lot of parents find it really freeing because you're, you're not going to meet the people who are in the workshop. So you can say what's really going on for you. Um, and, and we actually match you up with what we call an accounter buddy because we've realized that people who go through this with somebody else are massively more likely to finish or massively more likely to actually see the benefit of doing the workshop um, than people who try and go in, through it and just get the knowledge. Um, so we pair you up. We give you things to talk about so you never get on a call and you're like, I don't know what we're supposed to be talking about right now. Um, and what we see developing is these incredible friendships that far outlast the workshop um, because you're able to send this text message to somebody. I mean, we've had people paired from Kenya and Washington State, uh, you, and now they're making plans to go and visit each other. 
<laughs> but in the beginning, it's like, I'm not going to run into you in the grocery store. This is safe. I can tell you that I almost hit my kid this morning or I hit my kid this morning and I'm not proud of it. And I don't know what to do now and, and receive this sort of compassionate listening uh, response. Uh, and then on another day that the other parent is the one who's doing it and you're the one who's doing it. And, and so um, when we process in that way, in that sort of one-on-one or one-on-two relationship, and then in the broader community where, uh, you know, you're posting, I didn't really understand this particular aspect of it. And somebody else chimes in and says, yeah, well, for me, it was like this. And, oh, I never even realized that was a trigger until you said it. <laughs> And so I'm in the community every day, kind of shepherding these conversations through. But very often it's people learning from each other that in our culture, that's not valued. I mean, that's basically copying, which is terrible. You should come up with your own ideas, (laughs) be original. Um, But this is how we heal. These, These traumas were created in community with others, right? They happened in relationships with others. And so it makes sense that we would heal them in relationships and community with others. Um, and so that's what we really do. We give you the, the concrete tools to firstly understand where your triggered feelings came from. Um, and then a, a, basically a deep dive into what we just did, right? Understanding uh, how am I approaching these difficult situations? Um, how can I come into them in a way that's aligned with my values? How can I really understand why my child is doing this thing that drives me up the wall? Why does it drive me up the wall? What is my need here? I mean, most parents, you say, what's your need? And they're like, I don't know. What, how, what's a need? <laughs> I have needs. <laughs> yeah, you, you have them. And, and your need is not for, I need 30 minutes alone, right? That's a strategy to meet a need for self-care, mm-hmm. for quiet, uh, maybe for learning. If you, you want to be reading a book, there, there are so many other ways of meeting those needs. And what we help parents to do is to see, you could meet your need by doing this, which would also meet your child's need. And what you're coming out of, you know, my, my express goal is not, oh, Jen knows exactly how to meet my needs and my child's needs. And I can always go and ask and, and Jen will tell me what to do. It's I, now I have this framework to know how to identify my child's needs, to know how to identify my needs. And together we can figure this out, my child and I. And, and, and that's, that's what counts. And then we get to the teenage years, all the stuff that matters. And, you know, that, that's why we're doing this, right? When, when our kids right. are young. Yeah, it's an it's an empowering setup because it isn't just here's you know, I hear so many people say, I don't even read a parenting book or listen to anything parenting because it's it's either too over there's too much, yeah, or it's too prescriptive. Yeah. And it, it's not real life. Yeah. Where your kid doesn't follow the script, right? As soon as your kid right. says one word that's not on the script, you're like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where this course is, I, I love this because it, it helps you see that we all have these experiences and brings you a lot of empathy for yourself and for others. And also just, it's a real, it's a real life tool for um, having that situational awareness and because every situation is different. So how can I be aware of myself and aware of my child? And we move forward together in that is, I think it's really empowering for parents. So we will link the sign up for the workshop and, and the free, um, 
13 13 reasons why your child doesn't listen and what there to do we go. about each one. <laughs> yes, we will link that for all of you. Um anything you want to leave with our listeners Jen, anything else? I uh, I mean just profound gratitude for for you and for the work that you're doing out in the world. Um I mean this this is this is so important. Um I I see that the work that that you're helping parents with is the kind of work that uh, it helps us to heal from all of the, the challenges that we face in our society. Um, and that when we can raise our kids using these tools, uh, we're, we're yes, we're creating a, a better world for us and for our children, but we're also creating a better world for other people as well. So thank you yeah. so much. Well, thank you. I feel, I feel the same towards you. So thanks for coming on again. You're so really welcome. great. And just taking my crazy question. which wasn't crazy at all (laughs) (laughs) all right everyone thanks for listening let's find the magic (laughs) brown cows